down Wisconsin, and this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So yesterday, the Packers talk was absolutely rolling. Five-star telecom talking text line was lighting up. We were talking free agents. We were talking draft. And I was like, perfect. I'm putting putting today's show together, right? And I'm like, well, let's just roll over the Packer talk. We'll keep the conversation going about Antonio Brown, about Earl Thomas, about the draft picks, about free agency. Uh, so I was I was hyped. I was ready to come in here and start with Packers. I was hyped up. Uh, and then at about 3.30, about 3.45, Sit down at the computer, start putting stuff together, and I go on Twitter, and I see, oh, uh, Pau Gasol got got bought out by the Spurs. That's cool. See where he lands. And within the next minute or two, I'm seeing tweets, Pau Gasol planning to sign with the Bucks. And at that point, I'm like, all the Packers talk, all the free agency stuff, all the draft. I'm just like, yep, we're gonna take that. We're gonna throw it right back there because Pau Gasol on the Bucks. Man, I don't know if he's even gonna play that much, but I love this. I absolutely love this. San Antonio bought him out like like hours before the cutoff because they had to do it by 5 Eastern today, which would have been an hour ago, right, for him to be available for activation in the playoffs. Because if you buy a player out after a certain point, team can bring him in and they can put him on the roster, but they aren't necessarily eligible to play in the playoffs. So Paul Gasol wanted out, wanted to be able to play for a contender. San Antonio does that just mere minutes, mere hours before that deadline. And then within the next couple of minutes, like I said, it's being reported that he wants to sign with the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know how much he's going to play. I don't know exactly what his role is going to be, but I love this signing. I want to dig into some of the details and exactly what makes this move so smart. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. Uh, you can join me there. Also, you can join me on Twitter at Keystroker Grant and at WKTY. Pau Gasol has been around for a long time. What is he, 38? Yeah, I was gonna say he's got to be close to got to be close to forty, thirty eight, and he has his role has been less and less with the Spurs this year. He's averaging career lows. I mean, when you're thirty eight years old, I I would expect you to average career lows. He's averaging about four and a half points, four and a half boards in about twelve and a half minutes a game. And I know those numbers aren't tremendous. They certainly don't seem tremendous. If you look at the per the per thirty six, because Pau Gasol has been injured and he's been banged up, the Spurs have protected him they've cut his minutes down if you apply the the per 36 numbers which is essentially saying however many minutes you played cast that aside if you were on the court for 36 minutes which is about the workload little bit little less little more than your average NBA starter so let's put it into perspective Pau Gasol per 36 is averaging about 12 and a half points 14 rebounds uh, like I said, per 36 and shooting about 45%. And he can shoot from anywhere. He can shoot the three. He can score inside. He's been a big man who's been around the league for a long time and won championships. I think that's the big piece in all of this. I think that's the important piece in all of this. If Pau Gasol was a 30-year-old big man bought out by Atlanta who had never won championships and, and really didn't have a history in the league, that would be one thing. But the reason we're here talking about this, the reason we're excited and the same reason that a lot of writers and, and media members are excited about this move on Twitter is because, let's be real, this is the one thing the Bucks don't have. The Bucks have plenty of three-point shooting from their forwards and from their guards. Their backcourt is excellent. You have three guys who you would be comfortable sending out as a starter, both in Malcolm Brogdon and Eric Bledsoe, and George Hill wouldn't be a bad option if 
everything goes to hell and all of a sudden he's pressed into duty as a starting point guard when he's healthy. Remember, he started on the Cavs last year who went to the finals. You have three guys who you love at point guard. You have Giannis who might be the best player on the planet right now. We can talk about that and and break into the MVP conversation coming up here soon enough. Like I said, you have that three-point shooting. You can go small. You can go big. You can switch. What they didn't have was at least one player who had been there done that. And that's what they added with Pau Gasol today, too. And for fans of Step Brothers, uh, I, 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 just, I just had to get this rolling as well. Pau! Pau! Yeah. Pau Gasol. P-A-U, for those of you who aren't familiar. Are you saying Pau? I am saying Pau. Pau Gasol. 38 years old. Couple of rings. Signed with the Milwaukee Bucks. Or is planning, I should say, to sign with the Milwaukee Bucks after being bought out by the Spurs in time to be eligible for the playoffs. Pow! Yeah. It's pretty awesome. I'm excited, and it makes me, and it reminds me of the Milwaukee Brewers just a couple of months ago, because if you remember, this whole week we've been talking about uh, the Badger quarterback situation, right? And I said, well, we don't really know what's in the mind of Paul Christ and, and what that offensive staff is looking to do with the quarterback position. All we can look at is the history, right, and the precedent that has already been set. And from there, we can draw a conclusion, right? Well, I'd like to do the same with this situation, right? The, the Bucks. Bring in Pau Gasol to not really fit a huge need. No one was sitting here today saying the Bucks need to find a buyout option for a big man. They need big man depth. You can always use depth when you're trying to win a championship, which, let's be real, the Bucks only have 14 losses. They are, they are all in on trying to make the NBA Finals. You can always use depth. You can always use experience. And I liken it to the flurry of moves the Brewers made back in August, right? After the trade deadline, after they had uh, traded for Jonathan Scope, Right On August 31st, they had a flurry of moves where they brought in Xavier Cedeno from the White Sox, where they brought in Gio Gonzalez through a trade with the Nationals, and they traded some minor league players to get Curtis Granderson as well. Nobody at that time was saying the Brewers need to trade for a starting pitcher, especially after the trade deadline had passed, right? Because the buyout options on most years are, are, are not nearly as high of a level as some of the big-name players out there. They bring in Gio Gonzalez, and you're like, well, it can't hurt, right? Bring in Curtis Granderson. Well, you don't need another outfielder, but it can't hurt. Add some depth, right? Add a guy who's who's been on some playoff runs, as in Curtis Granderson and Xavier Cedeno. Just another arm in the bullpen, because why the hell not? We're trying to we're trying to make the World Series here. I think there's a lot of parallels between that day, August 31st, for the Milwaukee Brewers, where they make a flurry of moves that they didn't really need, but certainly can't hurt. I definitely liken that to the move made earlier today, and I should say about to be made, because all we have to go off is he's planning to sign with the Milwaukee Bucks after clearing waivers. So I guess we can't say he has been signed, but that that's the direction that this is heading. And most of the time when you see reports like this, 9 out of 10 times, 99% of the time, uh, these reports turn out to be the case. 608-796-2558. Not only do I want to talk about Pau, Pau Gasol, because I think this is an easy topic, bring in uh, that depth, right? And, and look, I'm not downplaying Pau Gasol as a player either. I'm not just saying to bring him in as a locker room guy because you know how I feel about that. Look, if Brooke Lopez gets into foul trouble or gets injured... That's a hell of a replacement to be able to bring off the bench. Now, all of a sudden, you are not in a position where you need to play Giannis at the five. You're not in the position where all of a sudden DJ Wilson needs to start playing huge amounts of minutes if you don't want to. This just gives you another option. And let's face it, with big men, you run that risk of foul trouble. You often as well run that risk of injury. Now, Brooke Lopez picks up a couple early fouls. You can be confident in bringing in a bench guy like Pau Gasol because you know not only has he been there, done that, and he's comfortable in these big games, but much like Brooke Lopez, he can score from all over the floor and he fits what the Bucs do. I'm not saying he's elite level big man, but he's a hell of an insurance policy. He's won championships and he can shoot the three and score inside. He can score from anywhere. He exactly fits what the Bucs are trying to do, even if, 
And I believe in an ideal world, he will not have to play a whole lot. That's an ideal world. Injuries, foul trouble, you never know what can happen. I want to talk about the Pau Gasol move. I want to continue that conversation. And also last night, for those of you who follow the NBA on a bit of a wider scope, just outside of Milwaukee or maybe outside of Minnesota or whatever team uh, you find, I appreciate you tuning into the Wisco Sports Show. If you are a fan of a team outside of the Milwaukee Bucks, if you were paying attention on a bigger scope last night, James Harden absolutely popped off. And this MVP conversation, and and I, I don't know. If you'd ask me who the MVP is today, I don't know. Obviously, I'm wearing, you know, green and tan colored glasses. I wanted to be honest. But this is as close as I think an MVP race has been going into the final couple weeks of the season in the last couple of years. I think two years ago, we were like, yeah, Russell Westbrook's going to average a triple-double. He's going to win the MVP. Last year, we were saying, yeah, Harden's going to win the MVP. This year, man, I don't know. You give it to James Harden, you could give it to Giannis. I think it's going to come down to these next couple of weeks. It could come down to the last three games of the year. Recency bias isn't always fair, but that's the way we operate in sports, right? Nobody's going to talk about games in November or December, nor should we. Let's be real. How did you finish? What's the lasting image that's left in our mind from both James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo? I want to keep this conversation rolling. And don't, don't, don't worry. We'll get to Packers talk as well because there was some big news on the Packers front earlier today as well. So a lot to cover as the Wisco Sports Show continues to roll on. More coming up next here on WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Hope you're having a good evening. More news. I, man, I need an extra helper in the studio. At about 5.09, the Bucks made another announcement. Of course, we're talking about the Bucks bringing in Pau Gasol to be that experienced piece, that veteran insurance depth on the bench for this uh, upcoming playoff run. And then the Bucks just, they won't calm down. The NBA will will not calm down. Uh, they signed Eric Bledsoe to a four-year extension. $70 million, which shapes up to, and yes, I before anyone makes a smart-ass question, I did use a calculator. That's $17.5 million per year. Uh, we'll see what, what, you know, is in terms of guaranteed money and bonuses and all of that. But as of right now, $70 million extension, which is a pretty reasonable price for the season that Eric Bledsoe is having. And honestly, a pretty good feeling because Eric Bledsoe doesn't need to resign right now. He can see what the market bears. He can go out in free agency and and talk to other teams. The fact that he is willing to resign now, especially for a pretty reasonable price for the Milwaukee Bucks, shows that maybe Bledsoe is bought in, and maybe he is bought in to wanting to play in, uh, in Milwaukee alongside Giannis and alongside Budenholzer. There is a small chance that Bledsoe just thought that he that's. That contract couldn't be beaten in free agency. You could look at it that way. I'd like to be a little bit more optimistic. This afternoon for the Bucks has just been too much. I, I need a drink. I need something. A lot going on, and we're talking about it all here on the Wisco Sports Show. Thanks for tuning in. Like I said, you can join me at 608-796-2558 on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Let's push back the MVP talk a little bit. It's interesting, and we don't know the dynamics. We don't know the optics of the communication inside the locker room and, and as it bears with with different players, like like how often does Chris Middleton or how often does Brooke Lopez speak with John Horst or how often do their agents uh, talk contract? Because let's be real, four of the five starters for the for the Milwaukee Bucks and numerous peaches of the bench are all up at the end of the summer and set to be free agents, right? Bledsoe, which has now been locked up, so we can say three out of five, Brogdon, Lopez, and Middleton, 
So the first cog, hopefully, in the in the case of Bucks fans, has been shored up, and that's Eric Bledsoe. But what about Chris Middleton? What about Malcolm Brogdon? And what about Brooke Lopez? And oh, by the way, maybe you want to look at ex- extending Miritich and not only making him a weapon and a rental for a playoff run, but a, a, a part of this team moving forward. I mean, the Bucks have a lot of choices. The fact that they choose to lock up Bledsoe first, I mean, the fact that they did it for a great price is secondary, but why Bledsoe first? It's interesting, right? Now, maybe Bledsoe's agent just thought this would be best for Eric, and, and he thought 17 and a half per year, $70 million for four years in total, was the best contract that he was going to get, and let's get it done now. Maybe, maybe that's what he thought. Or maybe Bledsoe just loves Milwaukee. Maybe he loves playing alongside Giannis, and he's really buying into what Coach Budenholzer is doing, and he said, screw it, I don't want to leave. I don't care what the market can bear elsewhere. I'll take what I can get. $70 million per year is, is a team-friendly deal, uh, at least for a high-level player. And just be done with it. It's interesting. Is this the first move of a couple of moves to come? Do they look to extend other players in the weeks to come here? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Is Eric Bledsoe the one you wanted to see extended? I Look, I really love Malcolm Brogdon. I like Chris Middleton. I like Brooke Lopez. If Eric Bledsoe continues to play at this level, he is incredibly valuable for this Bucks team. Because if the Bucks are able to keep up this stock of shooters, now even if they let Lopez walk, and even if they let Miritich walk at the end of the year, and even if Brogdon goes elsewhere, if they are able to bring in a new batch of shooters and maintain a high level of three-point shooting on this roster around Giannis Antetokounmpo, Bledsoe is, is infinitely valuable. Because Bledsoe can shoot. It's not his primary skill set. He's not Steph Curry. Right, he, He's not a, a point guard who bases his entire skill set around shooting the ball. He's a slasher. He's an athletic player who can get downhill, use his speed to close the distance to the hoop. He's going to draw those collapsing defenders. And now all of a sudden he can dish to the perimeter. And how helpful is that when also Giannis could be cutting to the basket? Right, And there's nobody better at finishing the rim. Nobody shoots a higher percentage around the bucket, it seems, like Giannis Antetokounmpo. Oh, and by the way, when they collapse on Bledsoe and possibly collapse on a a cutting Antetokounmpo, well, now you have Miritich on the perimeter. Now you have Brogdon. Now you have Lopez. Now you have Middleton. Oh, my God. And it all starts with Eric Bledsoe and his ability to quickly and aggressively slash to the basket. And he's a weapon in transition. Now, if the Bucs had no shooting on their starting roster or on their bench, you might look at Bledsoe as not as good of a fit, right? Shooting needs to come from somewhere. It doesn't have to come from your point guard. It can come from your center. It can come from your wings or your forwards, right? The fact that the Bucs have, I don't know what the right word, collected all of this shooting, and Giannis is shooting like 40% from beyond the three-point line in the month of February. He has steadily improved as the year's gone on. I'm not saying he's an elite shooter, uh, but he's at least competent. He's achieved a level of competence. Bledsoe fits so well. They don't need an incredibly accurate shooting point guard. But let's not act like Bledsoe hasn't been able to also shoot well from beyond the three-point line. He's done more than enough, both as a catch-and-shoot guy and as he's taken him off the dribble, too. It sometimes seems, and if you watch a lot of Bucks games, you'll definitely echo this sentiment. You know what I'm talking about when sometimes it seems like the longer Bledsoe thinks about it, the longer he clutches that basketball behind the three-point line and the less decisive he is, the better percentage his shot goes in. I mean, the three-point line, the longer he holds the ball, it seems more likely that the ball's going to go in, right? That's typically not the case. I'm not saying Bledsoe is a slouch behind the three-point line, but his skill set, his most valuable skill, is his ability to aggressively, and sometimes it seems violently, get to the hoop and draw extra defenders to not only finish at the rim, which he's very good at, or get to the free throw line, which he is very good at, 
but open up space for shooters around the perimeter like Brogdon, like Lopez, like now Miritich or Ursan Ilyasova, right? Or Chris Middleton. It's incredibly value and, and it's and it's a great fit. Bledsoe's always been an aggressive driver of the basketball and attacker in transition, right? He was that on the Clippers. He was that on the Suns. Neither one of those teams had the shooting around him to really maximize what Bledsoe did. And let's be real, Bledsoe's been healthy too. This season, and and last year with the Milwaukee Bucks as well, he's had a stretch of healthy basketball, which is something he couldn't buy the first couple of years, or at least the previous couple of years before coming to Milwaukee. The Bucks and, and Bledsoe are a really good match. Now, what the Bucks do here moving forward, whether they choose to prioritize extending Middleton or extending Lopez or extending Brogdon. Now, I would love, and I'm not a Chris Middleton hater. I love Chris Middleton. I really love Malcolm Brogdon. I would love to see them extend him as well. But it is nice that the Bucks were able to get this done right now, not worry necessarily and have so many question marks going into the offseason and into the playoffs as well because those things loom large in the minds of of some players. Bledsoe signing a team-friendly deal if you're just joining us here on the Wisco Sports Show. Four-year, $70 million. And yes, I don't want the smart-ass remarks about my mental math on air. That's $17.5 million per year. I am capable of doing that. I used a calculator just to check, by the way, so I don't want any remarks. Don't worry. Nobody's listening anyway. All right. Okay. Well, I guess. (laughs) It's a little strong, right? Bledsoe, $70 million for four years. And the Bucks remove one question mark from this upcoming offseason. Oh, yeah, and by the way, earlier today, we were talking about this. They signed Paul Gasol, uh, or they, it looks like they are going to sign Paul Gasol after being bought out by the Spurs just in time to make him playoff eligible as well. Yeah. Get excited. I Man, I walked in here today excited about the Bucks, and I have only gotten more and more excited. That level has only gone up over the course of the last 26 minutes we've been on air. Are you saying Powell? Yes, I am saying Powell. That is Pau Gasol, the 38-year-old veteran with multiple rings who is going to be a member of the Milwaukee Bucks. This is a lot of fun. 608-796-2558. We're talking about a flurry of moves for the Milwaukee Bucks. Is this a sign of things to come? Or maybe they prioritized Bledsoe? Or maybe Bledsoe prioritized signing a new contract as soon as possible? I, I don't know. It could be a collection of a lot of things. But John Horst really hasn't missed this year, has he? Trades have been good. He's able to get Nikola Miritich for essentially Thon Maker and Picks, which is absurd. Brings in Pau Gasol off a buyout, which is not only a lot of playoff experience and a lot of wisdom, and I'm not going to call him a good locker room guy. I'm not going to do that. That doesn't mean anything, as we've talked about in the past, right? He's got championship experience, which hopefully he's able to go to the likes of Giannis because he's played alongside Kobe or go to these Bucks and say, hey, when we're tired, when we're feeling fatigued down the stretch, this is what I like to do. This is what I've always done in the past. Or when we're in a really tough road environment and we're and maybe we're, we're focusing a little bit much on it, here's some advice. Here's something that I have found useful in the past. This is something I watched Kobe Bryant do, or this is what I used to do in LA to prepare for a hostile environment, right? Things like that. Not just, oh, he's a great locker room guy. No, there is wisdom. There is knowledge to be shared. Because let's be real, for everything the Bucks have, they have a superstar in Giannis who is arguably uh, the best player in the world right now. I don't think it really matters whether you think it's still LeBron or whether you think it's KD. Giannis is right there. So they have the superstar, not the fringe superstar, not the all-star, but the bona fide superstar surrounded with shooting. And Chris Middleton is a tremendous number two option, despite what, what some of you may think, right? Brogdon is an incredibly smart player, always makes the right move, and is a 90-50-40 player, right? They added Miritich, Ursan Ilyasova, great shooters, Brooke Lopez, who can attack inside and out. They have everything, and including 
elite level point guard play from Eric Bledsoe, who has just been resigned. Oh, yeah, and depth, by the way, with George Hill when he gets healthy. DJ Wilson can defend and rebound. Sterling Brown is an excellent isolation defender and can give you good minutes off the bench. The one thing that the Bucs didn't have is a player who had been there, done that. And earlier on in the show, I likened it to that flurry of moves that the Brewers made uh, late in August, right? When they brought in Xavier Cedeno in a trade, just to boost some depth in their bullpen. When they brought in Gio Gonzalez, well, maybe he'll start, maybe he'll do this, we don't know. But it can't hurt, right? And then they brought in Curtis Granderson, even though not only were there three outfield spots stiffly solidified, but they had Keon Broxton in the regular season who was able to provide some defensive help and some pinch hitting and Domingo Santana who was a pinch hitting force. They didn't care. They said it can't hurt. Let's bring him in. He's got experience. We'll find minutes. We'll find at bats for him and he will be useful for us at some point. That's what this Pau Gasol move is, is similar to. It's a hell of an insurance policy that it, that is also wearing a couple of rings and can bear that knowledge as well. I'm hyped for what the Milwaukee Bucks are doing right now. I bet you are as well. Coming up, we're going to keep this conversation rolling. We're going to push back the Packers talk a little bit. The MVP race and the MVP conversation is as close right now as it has maybe been in recent memory, at least the last couple of years. I want to talk about that because James Harden made a hell of a statement last night, and luckily for Bucks fans and luckily for Giannis Antetokounmpo, he has a tremendous opportunity tonight against the Lakers on national television to almost rebut to what James Harden did last night and say, oh yeah, James, you did that. We'll watch this. That's his opportunity. I want to talk about that, including what Giannis's playing time might look like going forward. Oh yeah, and also we got to get to some Packers talk by the end of the show because there's some news about one of their players still under contract, but that might not be the case for a while. A ton more to come on the Wisco Sports Show. Don't go anywhere. Steep it. Keep it. Excuse me, right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 5.80 AM, streaming live at WKTYsports.com. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hopping aboard and hanging out. The Bucks talk is rolling, and I'm excited. I am loving what's going on right now with the Milwaukee Bucks. Not only signing Pau Gasol, or it looks like it is in the works to be signing Pau Gasol, who was bought out by the Spurs just a couple hours ago, and then extending Eric Bledsoe, $70 million for four years, which is an incredibly team-friendly contract, especially given the fact that Bledsoe didn't have to do this. He could have been very interested in re-signing with the Bucs, but just waited until the summer, waited till free agency, see what the market bears, and then come back to the Bucs and say, oh, by the way, this team could give me this. This team could give me this. $17.5 million a year. Yeah, I did the math, and I checked it with a calculator, so let's keep the smart-ass remarks to ourselves. That's a team-friendly deal, uh, and Eric Bledsoe knows, I think, that he can flourish in this system with the current roster uh, that they have. 608-796-2558. Is the five star telecom talking text line? We're talking Bucks, and and we do have some Packers talk coming up soon enough because there was some news today. So we'll get to that. No worries. It, it, it's it's astounding what's going on in the MVP race right now in the in the NBA. I think a week ago I would have said yeah, it's Giannis for sure, and now it's swung back. I think it's close as it's ever been, at least in recent years at this time of the year. I think two years ago the consensus was Russell Westbrook's going to average a triple double. Yeah, he's going to win the MVP. Last year, James Harden was doing things that we have never seen. He's going to win the MVP. Well, this year, he's once again doing things that we've never seen. But is that going to get him a back-to-back MVP? Because I I do think, fair or unfair, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but just by my observation, when something is done for the first time, that warrants an award, right? So two years ago, 
Russell Westbrook, even though, and this isn't to hate on Westbrook, this isn't to hate on the Thunder, he averaged a triple-double, but his team was not exactly in the strongest contending position, right? Russell Westbrook wasn't leading the Thunder to a one or a two seed. It wasn't look like he was favored to come out of the first or second round in the playoffs, which ended up to be the case, but he was averaging a triple-double. So we put that aside. We put the team aspect aside a little bit because it was the first time that anybody had seen an average triple-double since Oscar Robertson. He won the MVP. Well, the next year, Russell Westbrook did basically the same thing. He still averaged a triple-double. His team shook out just about the same in the standings, and they exited the playoffs at a similar juncture actually earlier last year. I mean, it would have been very easy for the for the MVP committee to say, well, we gave Russell Westbrook the MVP last year. He followed up this year with a similar performance, so we're going to give it to him again. But that wasn't the case. They moved on to something different, something else, which was James Harden, who was scoring at an absolutely unprecedented level. Now, James Harden won the MVP last year, and now is putting up numbers that are the same, if not better, this year. Does the MVP voting committee, whatever their criteria are, turn around and say, well, what Harden's doing is great. We saw that last year. What's the new flashy thing going on? Is it Giannis? I, I, I'm not listening to Paul George MVP arguments. I'm just not. So if, you, if that's what you're going to bring to the five-star telecom talking text line, I'm going to hang up on you. Sorry, I'm letting you know now. But after what James Harden did last night, it, it was close. Paul George, I think, was on the fringe of a conversation. But it, it, after what James Harden did last night, I'm sorry, absolutely no. And if Giannis Antetokounmpo follows up tonight with an MVP-like performance, I, I think it is a field of two, regardless of what some people will try to tell you. Last night, the Rockets won 121-118, to 118, and, and James Harden had 58 points alongside 10 assists uh, and a couple of rebounds, seven rebounds as well, which is absurd. I And they needed all 58 points. I mean, the, 121 to 118, it's not like he was racking these up in garbage time. James Harden is doing things, whether you like him or not, I'm not going to say manipulated. He has figured out how to play offensive basketball under this set of rules to the maximum level, right? Drawing fouls, being effective at the free throw line where he was perfect last night, 18 of 18. But yeah, he was also efficient behind the three-point line. He was 8 of 18, which is over 50%. And he was 16 of 32 on the night, which is, if my math is correct, and we all know that sometimes it isn't, I think this is easy enough, he shot 50% from the field as well. 16 of 32. James Harden was efficient, And he scored a bunch of points, which those two things don't always go hand in hand. Not all 50-point games are created equal, though. Anytime you're eclipsing 50 points, maybe outside of Kobe's final game, it's going to be impressive, right? It's going to draw heads. You can't really argue against James Harden today after last night. There's no argument. There's no criticism that is valid. He was efficient. He scored at a good clip. He was perfect from the free throw line. He was over 50% from beyond the three-point line, and he shot 50% from the field. That's efficient as efficient gets alongside 10 assists, and the rebounds, to me, don't matter as much for James Harden. He had seven boards as well, though. I think right now the pendulum has swung, if not back to the middle, even farther back to the James Harden side. And that's what's so crazy about this year's MVP race. I think two weeks ago I would have said it's Giannis. I, now, look, I'm a Bucks fan, so I'm not going to say who I would pick right now, but I do think it is that close. I think it is going to be decided over the course of the next couple of weeks and the remainder of the season, which is something we don't typically see. It could come down to the final three or four games, final two or three games. That's how close this is, which is wildly entertaining, which is going to keep James Harden and assumedly Giannis as well playing at a high level each and every night, not wanting to back off, not wanting to rest in preparation for the playoffs. But these two players are sit in very different situations, right? Giannis has the ad, the advantage of 
taking his team to a super stratospheric level after last year, right? The Bucs, what did they sneak in as a seven seed last year? All of a sudden, they are the one seed, and oh yeah, they've only lost 14 times this season. No matter how many times I read that, I'm still going to be blown away. The Bucs are not only record-wise the best team in the NBA, but the, the jump that they have made from last year to this year is almost incomprehensible, and Giannis has that advantage. So if we're putting together an MVP conversation for James Harden, what he's doing is unprecedented in terms of uh, the scoring streak, although that streak kind of came to an end, but this run he has been on of scoring 30-plus, which hasn't been done since the likes of like Will Chamberlain, right? It's ridiculous. For the case of James Harden, it, it, like the numbers speak for himself, right? He's putting up triple doubles. He has how many 50-point games this year? The rest of the league, I think the, the leader behind him has one 50-point game. He has six. James Harden is doing things that we've never seen before. The numbers speak for themselves. Giannis's numbers are great, too. Well-rounded, lots of scoring, lots of rebounds, and he gets assists, too. They are not incredible. It's not an incredibly high number of assists, but then again, neither is James Harden's. Giannis also has that advantage of taking his team and having the best team in the NBA record-wise and the improvement from last year. That's the case for Giannis Antetokounmpo. The difficult part is that's not a measurable, right? We can't compare the box score of Giannis and the box score of James Harden and include all of the factors. Because the record of the Bucs doesn't show up in the box score night to night, right? The fact that the team has ultimately improved so much from last year to this year under the ascension of Giannis and under the new coach of Mike Budenholzer. You can't put that in a box score. That's not necessarily qualitative. I know the wins are there, but what weight does that carry, right? It's easy to put Giannis's points per game and Harden's points per game tip to tip, put them right next to each other and compare them. It's cut and dry. But you start getting into some of these other factors, right? Like the seeding, which with the Bucks could very well be the one. The Bucks could clinch a playoff spot tonight on March 1st with a win over the Lakers and some other things going on, which is absurd. How much weight does that bear? Because you just can't compare that. You can't compare the team success to Harden's individual success. A lot of that's going to come down to the committee, and I think that's why a lot of it is going to be decided in the final week or two, which is crazy, and it's going to be a fun finish to watch. That being said, I think a lot of Bucks fans have have concerns, especially with Giannis being on the injury report in the couple last games. He is not on the injury report tonight. He hopefully should be a full go. I think they they have just been cautious with back to backs. What are the, how are they going to approach the taper or lack thereof for Giannis Antetokounmpo in the final couple weeks of the season here in preparation for a playoff run? Because there's an MVP race at stake. I think James Harden knows that. I think Giannis knows that. I think the Bucks know that. But ultimately, what is more important: being rested and comfortable for the playoffs or winning an MVP? I'm not saying it's an either or. Both could happen if strategically done, I think a lot of it is going to fall on Giannis and his comfort level. Uh, Giannis really hasn't been injured all that often, knock on wood, in his MVP career, it's or his NBA career. It's not like he has been an injury-prone player. Then again, neither really has James Harden, although he's had his spats. I, I don't know that Giannis is in- incredibly concerned about getting rest. I-, I think if it were up to him, he would probably want to play every night. He probably does want to play every night. We read those reports all the time, right? I don't know who the front runner is. All I know is that it's Giannis, and it's Harden, and then in a category by themselves is Paul George, and then it's everybody else. Paul George is not on the level right now of the Rockets and of the and, and of the Bucks in Giannis and in Harden. It's just not okay. I, I don't I don't care what you say. You can try to make it a fun argument, but it's not. It's it's tier one, Harden Giannis. Tier two is Paul George. He's all by himself in that tier. But right now, especially after last night, he's on a different level. The Bucks play tonight. Uh, and and we will have that game over on WIZM, our sister station, because over on WKTY tonight, we will have Central Logan 
uh, which is a regional semifinal, which is round two of the playoffs. This is Central's first playoff game. Drew Kelly will have the call tonight, so the Bucks will be over on Wisdom. They are playing the Lakers, and tonight is a beautiful opportunity for Giannis to take advantage and, and take advantage of a chance to rebut, and, and this can be a rebuttal game for what Harden had last night. National TV against the Lakers, against LeBron James. And let's be real, if you beat the Lakers tonight, I'm not saying it seals their season, but it buries them real deep. Their chances of making the playoffs right now are hovering under 10%, even with that win against the Anthony Davis Pelicans, uh, the Anthony Davis-less Pelicans the other night, which everybody wants to make a huge deal, like it's saving their season. Their chances to make the playoffs are still under 10%, and beating them tonight could be, it would make it real damn hard for the Lakers to sneak into the playoffs as a, as a 7 or an 8 seed. This is a huge game tonight for Giannis. I know we like to think that national TV games don't mean anything. We tell ourselves as Buck fans that, oh, don't worry about a national TV game, right? There's 82 games. This is a big game tonight. This is a huge game for Giannis. Giannis has got to play well. The Bucs got to win. And I know the Bucs have been winning at just an unprecedented pace, at least for my lifetime. They only have 14 losses. Let's bear that in mind. They got to win tonight. And Giannis has to shine. Because I think the pendulum now has... And, and this hasn't been the case over the last month. The pendulum has been swinging towards Giannis. Giannis, Giannis had been swinging away from Harden. And I think last night, the pendulum came back to as close to James Harden's side of the coin as it has in, in probably weeks. And I know there were some, some rumblings. I was listening to Bill Michaels earlier today, and I was on Twitter seeing both what Bill said and, and, and Radio Joe. Of course, you hear their show 11 to 2 every day here on WKTY. Should Giannis be resting during this road trip? Should Giannis be sitting out games of the back-to-backs? I don't know after tonight, you can do what you want. But tonight, Giannis has got to play. And he's got to play at a high level. And he's got to put up some big numbers. And he's got to have a flashy play or two. Because after last night, like I said, that pendulum has swung back to the James Harden side. I don't know how far, and I don't know how far past the median it has gone. But it's as close to 50-50 as it has been in the last couple of weeks. In terms of this MVP race. And it's something we got to watch. Giannis can't rest tonight. Mm Mm-mm. Now, in the future, maybe, but not tonight. It's the Lakers, it's LeBron James, it's national television, and he's got to show out, and this is a chance for him uh, to pitch a rebuttal against what James Harden cooked up last night in 58 points. I want to transition to Packers talk coming up next. There was some news that broke, uh, and it's not a player being acquired, it's not a player being cut, but it's an interesting storyline about a player, Nick Perry, uh, who is still under contract, still getting paid a lot of money. It's not He's not a free agent to be, His future with the team is now in question, and it's even being doubted by some members of Nick Perry's camp. So we'll get into that coming up next as we wrap up the week here on the Wisco Sports Show on WKTY. Okay, I lied. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One minute till we get to to Packers talk. I got to pass this along. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY, and it's been all bucks, rightfully so. Bringing in Pau Gasol, extending Eric Bledsoe on a team-friendly deal, which I love. And I just saw this on Twitter. I have to share this because it is really, really impressive, especially because in the past couple of years, we've all hated on the Bucks front office, and I think fairly so. Kind of dysfunctional, kind of unorganized. This is John Horst since the beginning of the summer of 2018. All right, listen to this. Hired Mike Budenholzer. Signed Brooke Lopez for $3.3 million on that mid-level exception, which, when you factor in the money, might have been the best offseason acquisition of any team, given what they are getting for $3.5 million, less than $3.5 million. He traded Delhi and Henson for basically cap relief in 2019, and he got George Hill back. Think of it that way. He dropped the Delhi and Henson contracts, and yeah, traded away some picks as well to free up cap space. They traded Thon Maker... 
and picks for Nikola Mirotic, which is a great haul. They agree to sign Pau Gasol at a championship winner uh, for some for some knowledge and a hell of an insurance policy should Lopez or one of their big men get in foul trouble or get injured. Oh, yeah, and then he extended Bledsoe four years, $70 million, which is a brilliantly team-friendly contract. It's $17.5 million a year. I'd say that's a pretty good resume for exec of the year, which is wild. Think about this. Think about this. And this is me getting excited. This is me being a fan here for a moment. David Stearns easily could have won executive of the year. Easily. In fact, you could definitely make a case that he should have won the executive of the year. I'm not hung up on it. I don't really care. But think of it this way. Christian Yelich won the MVP. David Stearns easily could have won executive of the year. We're in a position now with the Bucks where they could have and probably should have coach of the year in Mike Budenholzer, exec of the year in John Horst. And then, oh, by the way, there's a fat chance that Giannis is also going to bring home an MVP. Think about that for a second. Just think about that. Oh, yeah, by the way, Craig Council easily could have won manager of the year. That I will argue that he should have. Because I think he showed what a manager of the year should be. Not necessarily the most wins or, or necessarily the deepest playoff run. What did you do as a manager to maximize the talent on your roster? I didn't think anybody did that better than Craig Council. Think about that. Just think about that. That's an impressive resume for John Horst, and I love what the Bucks have done just in the last hour and a half. <laughs> We're throwing it together as we go here on the Wisco Sports Show. We had a little bit of time uh, to prep for some Packers conversation, so let's get into it. Yesterday, I, I posed the question, and I put it on Twitter as well, so maybe we'll close the show with this. In a perfect world, would you rather have Antonio Brown or would you rather have Earl Thomas? Just let's say they can only have one. It's the only free agent you can get. Which one would you rather have? So 608-796-2558. Let me know on the five-star telecom tech and talk and text line. Vote on the poll at WKTY on Twitter. We'll close the show with that. Until then, it came out today, a couple nuggets of news from the combine. Nick Perry and his camp sound very unsure of his future with the Packers. This is what Rob Domovsky stated on Twitter. Okay, this is what got this whole ball rolling. He said, source close to Packers offensive linebacker Nick Perry, outside linebacker, not offensive linebacker, outside linebacker Nick Perry said he wouldn't be surprised if the Packers declined to pay the $4.8 million roster bonus due on March 15th. However, he wasn't sure if the Packers would offer a restructure or just move on. So it looks like Nick Perry is expecting to be cut before March 15th, which is the cutoff. If they want to save the money for $4.8 million signing bonus, they have to do it before then. Now, they're going to take a cap hit either way, but you want to sp- if you're cutting a player, you want to do it in a timely manner so you can save as much money as possible. So Nick Perry sounding like he may be released. Then the news comes out later today, and these two things go hand in hand. They definitely coincide. This is also from Rob Domovsky and was reported by multiple people uh, in the Packers media and in the national media. Said several agents who have met with the Packers at the Combine said they get the sense that their plan is to spend on a pass rusher or rushers in free agency and then see what's left in the budget. It sounds like the Packers are going to go whale hunting in free agency when it comes to outside pass rushers. Now that's great, and it's great to cut Nick Perry and save a little over $4.5 million on his on his roster bonus. And if you've heard me talk on this show, I know a lot of people want Nick Perry cut. There's definitely definite reason uh, to be in that camp. In my opinion, after what you saw last year and what we've seen in years previous, the injury bug has bitten the Packers so hard that unless you have a stable of depth and depth at that position, I don't want to go cutting Nick Perry just to cut him. Just to make a, make a statement. Now, if you need that money and you're going to use that money to bring in a replacement and bring in depth and probably draft one as well pretty high, now I can get behind it. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. I can get behind that. But if you're just cutting Nick Perry to cut Nick Perry, I don't know if I love that. Because you're you, essentially what you're doing is you're saying, well, we're taking away any opportunity that Nick Perry is going to have to maybe get lucky and, and have a breakout year, right? 
And we're just going to cut him loose just to cut him loose because we're paying him too much money and he's not putting out. We're going to cut him just to cut him. I don't want to do that. If it's part of a plan to maneuver and to bring in more depth at that position, hell yeah, I'm all about it. Because you can never have too much depth. And, and I feel that's the attitude that the Packers should have. You cannot have too much depth. Ever. Look at the Brewers. We were talking about this. They made trades. They bring in players, not only at the trade deadline, but then that flurry in August of the Xavier Sedavio, Gio Gonzalez, and Curtis Granderson. At the time, none of those guys had a, 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 a place where you're like, okay, they're going to sit, they're going to fill in right there, and they're going to be huge. They're going to get a lot of playing time. No. But David Stearns and the Brewers said, we're preparing for a run down the stretch. We need not only the mind of guys like Curtis Granderson, who had been on runs before, but you just can never have good enough players. Injuries happen, right? In basketball, foul trouble happens. In football, injuries happen. Like I said, you never know. And I don't just want to go cutting Nick Perry just to cut him to make a statement about how, yeah, we were wrong. We paid him too much money. Just let him go and move on, right? I, I, I don't like that approach. Because as we saw last year, we have all thought the Packers' strength was going to be defensive line, and that turned out to be the case. But what happens? Mike Daniels get hurt. Muhammad Wilkerson gets hurt. Kenny Clark gets hurt. And now we're talking about Tyler Lancaster and Dean Lowry. I thought Tyler Lancaster played great, but let's be real. You're not going to war with Tyler Lancaster as your general leading the way, right? Waving the flag. It's not what you want. A couple of years ago, we thought the Packers' secondary was going to be key. Well, Demarius Randall, Quentin Rollins, they all got hurt. The wide receivers back in 2015, remember that? We all thought that was going to be a position of strength. Are they going to keep seven? Are they going to keep six? Well, everyone got hurt, including Jordy Nelson, which apparently is just the nuclear disaster happening on the Packers is losing one wide receiver in Jordy Nelson. You can never have enough depth. So if you are cutting Nick Perry to save some of that roster bonus, which is $4.8 that's not insubstantial. Not saying that. But if you're cutting Nick Perry, you damn bell, you damn better use some of that $4.8 million to replace him. Not just in the draft, but through free agency, like it seems is going to be the plan for the Packers from those who have been there and, and talked uh, to Brian Gutekunst and his camp. Don't just cut him to cut him. It's not, a, it's not a useful endeavor to just make a statement and cut a guy just to do it. Unless you're going to save substantial money, which the Packers could... If they cut him before March 15th, which if they're going to cut him, they better cut him before March 15th just to save that money, put it to good use. Now, we were talking about outside pass rushers who might be available in the upcoming months and, and stuff like that. It's interesting. Andrew Barr is going to be out there. Uh, Jade, Andrew, Anthony Barr, excuse me, Dante Fowler Jr. It sounds like a couple pass rushers uh, from the Rams are going to hit the free market. Jadavian Clowney. Now, th- th- those teams could all tag those players. Because we got to remember that with free agency, too. We're looking at, okay, here's five guys who are all free agents to be. Well, three or four of them are probably going to get tagged. Another one's probably going to get re-signed. And one of those dudes is going to be scooped up in the first couple of hours by a team with a butt-ton of cap space. So I know the field looks pretty. I know the the possibilities look good. But that field is going to shrink substantially. So I know it seems simple. Let's cut Nick Perry, use that 4.8 to now go out, add that to the cap space, and go out and get an Anthony Barr or a Dante Fowler Jr. or a Jadavian Clowney. Well, let's keep in mind, not all of those players who are right now set to be available are going to be available. It's just not the way it's going to work. So I know the Packers want to add and beef up their pass rush through free agency and through the draft. They're going to have to do both. And even if they do both, I still don't know if cutting Nick Perry is the perfect option. Don't cut somebody just to cut him. Who's your replacement? How are you going to replace that player? Because let's be real, last year on the Packers defense, especially in the secondary, it was just about having enough healthy bodies. Not good bodies, not elite bodies, but just bodies. 
So I don't want to go taking my number of healthy and useful players as Nick Perry is one. I don't want to just start throwing those away for no reason other than just admit a mistake. We're going to talk about this more as the, as the combine wraps up and free agency really starts to heat up. And as we approach that March 15th deadline, the Packers are going to have to make a decision on Nick Perry because it's going to be a $4.8 million decision when it all is said and done. Good stuff. If you missed it, Bucks are going to sign Pau Gasol. They extended Eric Bledsoe. What a show you can miss. Uh, you can fill in yourself if you missed out at WKTYsports.com. Check out the podcast. That'll go up in a couple of minutes. Have an excellent weekend. I'll talk to you Monday.